This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. The National Broadcasting Company presents Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. Tonight, transcribed from Hollywood, another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Texas, more than 260,000 square miles. And 50 men who make up the most famous and oldest law enforcement body in North America. From the files of the Texas Rangers come these stories based on fact. Only names, dates, and places are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Case for tonight, Death in the Cards. It is 11.30 p.m. on the night of January 26, 1947, at the ranch house of Chester Gentry in Reeves County, Texas. Chester is on the telephone as his stepson, Will, enters. No sign of him, huh? All right. Call me when you find him. Thanks, Sheriff. Where you been, Will? Just out having a beer. That Sheriff Bennett you are talking to? Yeah. Your friend Tovich telephoned you a while ago. Tovich? Oh, you didn't tell the Sheriff about Tovich. I sure did. Sheriff just called to say he located Tobich's rooming house over in Biggestown, but Tobich wouldn't say it. Well, I've told you a hundred times it's the worst thing in the world you could do. Tobich finds out to kill me. Will, I... Maybe he has found out, you told the sheriff. Maybe he's on his way here right now to get me. Look, you've got to give me the money to pay him off now. No, Will. No more money. Do you know what you're saying? He'll kill me if I don't pay him. He told me. Now you listen to me, Will. I've reached the end of my rope in this whole rotten mess. I'm through. I'm not going to get another dime from you. I've done everything I can for you, but... You're just no good. Please, Dad, I need that donut. You shut up and listen to me. When your ma died, I promised her I'd do everything I could for you. And I have. I treated you like you was my own son. I've given you a home. I've given you money. A lot of money. And what have you done with it? You've thrown it away to a slimy gambler named Tobich. But, Dad... For two months has been going on. For two months you've been bleeding me white to pay off that gambler. I told you to stay away from him, but you didn't. Now it's high time for me to meet him and tell him face to face to stay away from you. No, Dad, no, no. If you just give me the money this once more, I'll straighten out. I promise you. Your promises ain't worth a bill of straw. That's what you said last week. You'd straighten out. I told you then I'd give you just one week to do it, and if you didn't, you'd get no more money from me now or ever. Dad, you don't mean... Oh, don't I? You got yourself into this mess, you get yourself out of it. Tobich can bluff you, but he can't bluff me. Dad, Dad. Huh? What's the matter? Window. Tobich, I just saw him at the window. What? Now he's gone. He's probably heading for the front door. All right, let him. Turn off the lights, Will. But, Dad... Turn them off. What are you doing? Getting my gun. I'll give this Tobich a reception he ain't looking for. No, Dad, no. Front door, huh? No, look, stay away from that door, Dad. Don't open it, please, don't. Can't see a thing. Now, look, Will, you... Will! Will! Chester 
Mr. Gentry lay dead at his own front door. Will immediately notified Sheriff Bennett's office. Sheriff requested help from the Texas Rangers. Ranger Jace Pearson was assigned to the case. He joined Sheriff Bennett at the Gentry Ranch. Yeah, looks like an open and shut case, Jace. Tovich came here to get Will, but it was Chester who opened the door and collected the slugs instead. Where was the body, Sheriff? Lying right across the front doorway here. How long ago did the shooting take place? A couple of hours ago. Chester notified me earlier in the evening he'd gotten a call from this Tovich. The call came from Biggerstown, so I went over there to see if I could find him. I located his rooming house, but he'd checked out. Looks like while I was there, he was here. You say Tovich had been bleeding Will and Chester for some time, huh? Yeah, about two months, according to what Chester told me on the phone. Well, let's talk to Will. Oh, oh, Sheriff, come on in. Uh, this is Ranger Pearson, Will. He'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Well, sure, Ranger. How long have you known this Tovich, Will? A couple of months, I guess. And where'd you first meet him? Pete's place, down the highway. That's a roadhouse, Chase. Mm, that where you did your gambling? No, no. Tovich would call me from time to time, tell me he had a game lined up. So I'd meet him at his rooming house in biggest time. Who else was in the games? A couple other fellas, different ones each time. I didn't know any of them. Didn't even know their names. You kept losing to Tovich, didn't you? Yeah, I did. But you kept on playing cards with him. Well, I, I kept thinking my luck would change. Your luck never changes when you're up against a professional gambler. Guess I know that now. It's too bad you didn't know it two months ago. Your stepfather might still be alive. Ranger, there just isn't a thing you can say to me that I haven't already said to myself. I've been sitting here for two hours thinking about it. Knowing if I had the guts to straighten out, this wouldn't happen. There's only one thing I hope right now. I hope somehow Dad knows how I feel. All right, Will. What does Tovich look like? Well, pretty ordinary-looking fellow. Kind you never notice in a crowd. About my height, I'd say. Black hair, regular features, nothing to really set him apart. It's mm, pretty general. I guess it is, but it's the best I can do. Okay, better get some sleep. You find any tracks outside, Sheriff? Nope, my deputy scarred the yard, but it's too gravelly to hold any kind of tracks, car or foot. Will, uh, do you remember hearing a car pull away from here after the shooting? Why, no, Ranger. Now, come think of it, I, I didn't even hear one come up. Hmm. Okay. When it gets light, we'll ride around a little in the back of the ranch, Sheriff, and see if we can pick up any footprints. All right. In the meantime, let's take a run over to Biggerstown and talk to Tovich's landlady. Maybe she can give us a better line on him. Afraid I can't help you much on a description, Ranger. I only got a good look at Tovich once. That was when I rented this room to him two months ago. Mm, it's pretty strange that'd be the only time you saw him, Mrs. Packer. Well, he came and went by night. I'd hear voices in his room sometimes in the evening. A couple of times a woman's voice. But as far as seeing him around, I didn't. You said he checked out earlier tonight. Didn't you see him then? No. He just left an envelope under my door with his key and the money he owed on the room. You think you'd recognize him if you saw him again, Mrs. Packer? Well, I might. I don't know. But to sit down and describe him to you, I'm afraid I can't be much help there. I don't like it, Sheriff. Man's been living in this room for two months. Take a look around you. It's clean. Too clean. Nothing here to give us any line on. Hey, wait a minute. 
Have you cleaned this room since Tovich checked out? No. I ain't gotten around to it yet. I was figuring on giving it a good swamping out in the morning. I'd like to save you the trouble. What do you mean? I'd like to have one of our men from the lab vacuum the room for you. Well, <laughs> it's my back the way it is. I sure ain't gonna say no. You figure on having the contents of the dust bag analyzed, Jase? Yeah. Tovich has covered his tracks pretty well so far, but maybe he doesn't know you can sometimes pick up a lot besides dust with a vacuum cleaner. Mrs. Packer, if you should ever see Tovich again, I'd like you to get in touch with me right away. Well, you can count on that, Ranger. Say, I don't hanker to have any killers running loose around my room in the house. Dawn came, and the only thing new on the case was the publicity. Papers were carrying the story with pictures of Chester and Will. The sheriff and I started scouring the country in back of the Gentry Ranch on horseback. This is hunting weather, Jace, with all that frost on the ground. Yeah, so far the hunting hasn't been good. Let's see, we're right in line with the back of the ranch house now. Yeah, maybe we better split up and go around. Hey, oh, hold it. Take a look on the ground there. Yeah, foot tracks. Coming from the back of the ranch house, too. And judging from the distance between the tracks, he was in a hurry. Come on. Heading straight north for the river, Jace. He could be trying for the New Mexico border. Could be. You know, one thing, it should be pretty easy to follow the tracks in the frost. Yeah. There's something funny about these tracks, though. What do you mean? I don't know yet. Can't just put my finger on it, but we'll keep trailing. See if we can put our finger on Tovich. Come on, Charcoal. Yeah. Can't understand why you don't want to cross the river, Jace. Tracks led smack into it back there. I know it, Sheriff, but let's just keep looking along the bank on this side. Okay, but he probably waded along a spell and kept going on the other side. What's on the other side? Santa Fe track, about 15 miles away. And what's between the river and the tracks? Just open country. That's what I mean. I don't think Tovich would risk 15 miles of open country. Yeah, see your point. Yeah, we'll keep looking along this side then. Well, we don't have to look any farther, Sheriff. Look, there they are. Ooh, ooh, Charky. Hey, they... They sure are. Packs coming up out of the river and heading back the way we came. But there's still one thing I don't understand. What's that? The shooting took place about 11.30 last night. Tovich could have been halfway across that open country on the other side of the river by dawn. Now, why'd he double back? I think I've got an answer for that, Sheriff. I told you a while back something was bothering me about those tracks. I finally figured out what it is. Oh? Look at the tracks, and then look at the hoof marks of our horses. Well, they look just about the same to me. Hey, they both cut down through the frost. Yeah, that's the point. What time you figure the frost formed on the ground this morning? Mm, between four and five, maybe. And those tracks were made after the frost formed. They cut through it. If they'd been made before the frost, it would have formed over them. Wait a minute. Maybe Tovich realized he killed the wrong man. Maybe he hid around the ranch trying for another crack at Will. And now those tracks are heading toward the ranch again. Come on, Sheriff. We better get back there in a hurry. Hey, 
followed the tracks back to the highway a mile below the ranch and lost them there. Then we headed for the ranch house. There was no sign of life around the place. I don't see Will outside anywhere. His car's in the driveway. I hope we're not too late. Will! Will! Oh, morning, Sheriff, Ranger. Yeah, that's a relief. Oh, come on in. Something the matter? We thought there might be. Can I use your phone? I want to call my office and see if there's anything new. Help us out. Back in the hall. Okay, thanks. Ranger, what's the sheriff mean about being relieved to see me? Well, it's possible Tovich hung around here at the ranch last night after the shooting. What? You see or hear anything after we left? And it wasn't my imagination. What do you mean? Well, after you fellas left, I locked up tight. About three or four this morning, a sound woke me up. What kind of a sound? Well, like somebody walking around outside. You think it could have been Tovich? I don't know. Well, I've got Dad's gun. Tovich ever shows up around here again, I'll handle it. Law enforcing's our business, Will. Don't try and take it into your own hands. Yes. Yes, Sheriff. Now, what is it? My deputy just told me that landlady, Miss Packer, phoned the office for you about an hour ago. Mrs. Packer? Yeah, they told her to call out here. Will? Yeah. Did a Mrs. Packer phone me? Oh, a woman phone. Didn't leave a name, but she did leave a number. I got it written down right here. Thanks. Operator? 2734J. How long ago did she call, Will? Oh, about an hour ago, I guess. she leave any message? No. Just said to ask you to call her. You told her to get in touch with you if she ever saw Tovich again, Jace. Yeah, I know. No answer. Come on, Sheriff. We better get over to Biggerstown and find out what's on Mrs. Packer's mind. Hmm. She must have gone out. Her door's unlocked. Mrs. Packer? Mrs. Packer? Look, Jason, on the table there by the phone. Hmm. Newspaper. Folded to the story of the killing. Well, she can't have gone very far. Coffee's boiling on the hot plate. Hmm. Pot's just about boiled dry. Come on, let's take a look in the next room. You know, it's funny she'd call and then be... Jace, on the bed. Yeah. Mrs. Packer. Strangled. You are listening to Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. We continue now with tonight's case, Death in the Cards, an authentic story from the files of the Texas Rangers. Getting nowhere fast on this case. First Chester Gentry, then Mrs. Packer. We questioned all the rumors, but none of them had seen a thing. Then we went back to the sheriff's office. And Jace, there's no doubt about it at all. Miss Packer was trying to tell you something about Tovich, but he got to her first and killed her to shut her mouth. Yeah, we know who the killer is, all right, but the big question is, where is he? It's just like the earth opened and swallowed him up. 
Well, every sheriff's office in the state's been alerted. Highway patrol's on the lookout, too, so sooner or later we're bound to... Yeah. Excuse me, Jason. Sheriff Bennett speaking. Oh, yeah, just a minute. Your headquarters, Jace. Captain Stinson. Thanks. Hello, Captain. Just got a report from the lab on those vacuum sweepings you had them take from Tovich's room in Biggestown, Jace. Now, what'd they find? Only items of interest were two or three women's hairs. Red. Hmm. A lot of redheads in Texas, Captain. I'm afraid that's not much help. Maybe more than you think. This hair wasn't naturally red. It was a henna dye, John. And judging from the distance between the roots and the dye, the lab figures it was dyed about a week ago. Well, now that's a horse of a different color. Well, thanks a lot, Captain. I'll keep you posted. Sheriff, we haven't had any luck finding Tovich, have we? We sure haven't. Okay, now we're going to start looking for Tovich's girl. His girl? How many beauty parlors do you figure there are in Biggerstown? I don't know, six or seven, maybe? Before the day's over, we'll know exactly how many there are. We're going to visit them all. The sheriff had underestimated the town. There were ten of them. We had no luck on the first seven, and then, just at dark, we hit number eight. There we found an operator who remembered giving a henna dye job to a girl named Thelma Parrish about a week ago. We learned that Thelma was a waitress in a coffee shop, so I parked my car around the corner, and we dropped in on her. Well, you men look like you could use a nice cup of coffee. Nothing I'd like better right now than having a pretty red-headed waitress pour me one, ma'am. <laughs> Why, thank you, Ranger. Coming up. What do you think, Jace? I think maybe. Cream? Uh, black. Yeah, black here, too. Well, here you are. Thanks. Hey, seen your boyfriend lately? Boyfriend? Tovich. Who? Tovich. You must have me mixed up with somebody else, Ranger. I don't know anybody by that name. Are you real sure about that, ma'am? Well, of course I am. A girl sure who she does know and who she doesn't. Well, either I'm mistaken or you're lying to me. Look, I don't know what this is all about, but I do know better than lie to a Ranger. I hope so. Well, come on, Sheriff. You better be getting back to your office. Okay, Jake. Here's for the coffee. Thanks. Sorry I can't help you any about what's-his-name. So am I. This way, Sheriff. Where are we going? Across the street. Yeah, but the car's on this side, around the corner. Keep walking. She's watching us from inside. Oh. Think she was lying? That's what I want to find out. She seemed pretty sure of herself. Okay, we're out of her line of sight now. Let's get in this doorway, quick. Good. We're in the shadows here. She can't spot us from across the street. Now we just keep an eye on the front of that coffee shop and... Look, she's coming outside. Uh-huh. Yeah. False alarm. She's just washing the windows. Yeah? Well, that's the fastest wash job I've ever seen. She's heading inside again. She came out to make sure we'd gone. Come on. Work away along the sidewalk until we can see across the street into the coffee shop. Yeah, but she may spot us. Hey, hold it. She's on the phone with her back to us. She was lying, all right. Probably calling Tovich right now. Sheriff, how about slipping into the drugstore and tracing that call? Mm -hmm. I can keep an eye on the front of the shop from my car. I'll meet you there. 
sheriff disappeared into the drugstore. I waited in my car. A couple of minutes later, he came over and got in, wearing a very puzzled look. Must be some mistake, Jason. Uh, what do you mean? That waitress, she just telephoned the Gentry Ranch. I don't think there is any mistake, Sheriff. And right now, it doesn't surprise me much. Yeah, but as far as we know, the only one of the Gentry Ranch is Will. Yeah, but Will's going to have company as soon as we can make it there. Wait a minute. You're trying to say that Will Gentry... Sheriff, it looks like there is no Tovich and never has been. I guess the boy we've been up against right from the start is Will Gentry. I radioed KTXA to set up a roadblock on the highway ten miles each way from the Gentry Ranch in case Will should take off before we could get there. And I jammed the gas pedal to the floor and held it there. Jace, you're leaving me way behind. Will Gentry. Looks like I was way behind for a while, too. But looking back on it, it all falls into place. We know Will was always after money from his stepfather, Chester. And he invented the story about a gambler named Tovich as an excuse to get that money? He even went so far as to rent a room in Biggerstown under that name. But when Chester cracked down and threatened to disinherit him, Will used the same Tovich device to kill Chester. That way, he'd get all Chester's money. So when Chester opened the front door, thinking Tovich was outside, there wasn't anybody there at all. And it was Will who plugged him. KTXA to Unit 10. Unit 10. Go ahead, KTXA. Unit 320, stationed at Tucker's Junction. Unit 256, stationed at Biggerstown, turn off. Unit 10, 10-4. KTXA, clear. Well, we got the roadblock set up. Tucker's Junction's about five miles the other side of the Gentry Ranch, isn't it? Yep. And with another highway patrol car back of us at the Biggerstown turnoff, looks like we got Will bottled up tight if he makes a run for it. There's no side roads off the highway for six or seven miles along here. Good. As soon as we get the top of this rise, we ought to be able to spot the Gentry Ranch. Yeah, ranch house only a mile or so from here, Jace. It was Will who made those tracks in the frost then, huh? He heard me say we'd start trailing in the morning. I guess he figured on giving us something to trail. Yeah, and that explains Miss Packer's murder, too. She must have seen Will's picture in the paper, recognized him as Tovich, so she tried to phone you. And when she called the ranch house, Will knew he had to shut her mouth for keeps. He probably got back from killing her just before we showed up at the ranch house after the trailing. There's the ranch house, only half a mile more. Now wait, the taillight's swinging out onto the highway. He's making a run for it. What kind of cars he drive? Gray sedan, isn't it? Yep. Unit 10 to all units in roadblock. Subject, Will Gentry, attempting getaway. Proceeding east on Highway 19 in gray sedan. Unit 10 pursuing. Unit 203 to Unit 10. Unit 10. Go ahead, Unit 203. Unit 203 on Highway 19, three miles west of Tucker's Junction. That's only a couple of miles east of us, Jace. Proceed west on Highway 19, Unit 203. Unit 203, 10-4. Unit 10, clear. Yeah, we got him bottled up for sure, Jace. We're backstopped at both ends, and we're coming at him from both ends. It's a squeeze play. I sure hope so. Unit 10 to Unit 203. Unit 203, go ahead, Unit 10. Have you sighted Gentry's car yet? Not yet, Unit 10. We'll report contact. Unit 10, clear. I don't get it, Sheriff. We should have spotted Gentry by this time. We're almost together. Here, watch it, Chase. Sharp bend in the road just ahead. Just past this drive-in movie here. Yeah, I see it. <laughs> Only way Gentry could get off the highway is to ditch his car, and I don't think he'd do that. Hey, a red light coming at us. That must be Unit 203. He's stopping, too. But where's Will? 
No sign of Gentry? None, Jake. No, but there aren't any side roads at all. He couldn't have vanished into thin air. Hey, wait a minute. That drive-in movie we just passed. You think he turned in? It's the only place he could have turned in. Come on. We went back to the drive-in theater, stationed the highway patrol car at the exit, then the sheriff and I talked to the theater manager. He remembered a gray sedan pulling in there a few minutes before. He'd sent it to the rear aisle, so the three of us circled around the theater on the outside of the fence and then came in through a small gate in the rear. But Gentry's car wasn't in the back row. But he's got to be in this back row, Ranger. That's where I sent him. Look, there's a vacant spot in the row. One in the next row ahead. He could have wormed his way forward a few rows. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people do that trying to get a better spot. About 200 cars in here. It's going to be like looking for a needle. Hey, hold it. Three aisles up, near the side. Yeah, that's his car, all right. Gonna take him now, Jason? We can't. There's too many cars around him. It's a cinch he won't come peacefully. Somebody might get shot. If we could only get the car on each side of him to get clear... I could make an announcement on the public address. No, that's no good. He'd probably start shooting. I can't warn the car on each side. Will would spot me. Same goes for you, Sheriff. Want me to do it? You? I don't know. It'd be pretty... Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, I think I got it. You go up to the car on this side of Will, tell him to clear out in exactly one minute. Then go to Will's car, tell him you're checking the reception on those speakers they hang on the side of their cars. And then go to the car the other side of him, tell them to clear out in two minutes. Good idea. That way, maybe Will won't get suspicious. Thirty seconds after the second car leaves, turn on all the lights. Okay, I'll give it a whirl. See you after it's all over. I hope. Watched the manager go along the line of cars. He worked his way to Will's car, then passed it to the one beyond. Then he headed for the projection booth. So far, so good. Seconds ticked by. At the end of the first minute, the car this side of Will pulled out. Another minute went by. And the car the other side of Will got going. He's out in the open now, Jason. Yeah. Twenty seconds till the lights go on. Come on. John, you came to the We'll get just a little closer. I'll take him from this side. Hey, Jace. He's starting up. He must have got suspicious. He won't get far. You hit it hard. Will! Come out of that car with your hands in the air. There go the lights, Tom. Huh? coming out all right, Ranger. Look out, Jace! Oh. Ah. Come on, Sheriff. You okay, Jace? Uh, yeah. Well, you sure knocked him down, Tonto. Uh, hit him in the shoulder. Why didn't you finish me off? That's up to the state of Texas, Will, not me. But I think they'll oblige you, all right? Will Gentry was tried and convicted of the murders of Chester Gentry and Leona Packer. On the morning of April 12, 1948... He was executed in the electric chair at Huntsville Penitentiary. And here again is the star of our show, Joel McRae, with another interesting story about the Texas Rangers. Although the Texas Rangers is a highly organized law enforcement agency, the men themselves are rugged individualists. One ranger in particular that I know of carries his six shooters with only five shells in each gun. One day he was asked why he did this. If the hammer's resting on an empty chamber, he said, the gun can't be fired accidentally. 
But, said his interested friend, with only five bullets instead of six in the gun, aren't you endangering your own position? Maybe so, he said with a grin, but if you can't hit your target with five shells, the sixth one won't do you much good anyhow. Good night, folks. See you next week. Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Joel McRae is currently seen starring in the Universal International Technicolor production, Frenchie. Tonight's cast included Tony Barrett, Bill Johnstone, Farley Bear, Jeanette Nolan, Byron Kane, Mike Barrett, and Ernie Newton. This story was transcribed and adapted by Bob Reif, and the program was produced and directed by Stacey Keach. Hal Gibney speaking. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Remember all the delightful troubles that beset Mr. Blandings when he built his dream house? Well, starting next Sunday afternoon, you can hear the further adventures of the beleaguered Mr. Blandings and his wonderful wife, Muriel. It's top listening for the entire family next Sunday and Sundays thereafter when Cary Grant and Betsy Drake star as Mr. and Mrs. Blandings. Stay tuned for the $64 question. Tomorrow, hear the symphony on NBC. Okay, Shane, get the picture. A guy in front of you with a thirty-eight, a guy in back with a rifle. You with nothing. If wishing will make it so, you better start wishing to be somewhere else fast, because... your director, Bill Russo, inviting you to listen to Michael Shane, that reckless, red-headed Irishman back at his old haunts in New Orleans, in another transcribed episode. We call it The Case of the Model Murder. Wait till my compliments to the chef, the shrimp superb. Look, maybe I'm talking out of turn, Mr. Franklin. After all, you're hiring me, but 20 a day is mighty short wages for some of the things I get involved in. And I've learned that the phony cases usually have the biggest hospital bills. Phony, Mr. Shane? Yeah. I get a message that you want to see me urgently. Okay, I come dashing down here, expecting you to be tearing your hair or dying from a leaky artery. So what do I find? You find me in a seafood bar enjoying New Orleans' most succulent river shrimp. And sipping excellent dry Manhattan. That's right. Then you, you give me a story about a girl, Marianne Chevney. I have to find her and bring her to her home by Friday midnight or she loses eight million bucks. Is that too complicated? No, Mr. Franklin, it's too simple. Instead of giving me any details here, you go on chewing your shrimp. And sipping my Manhattan. <laughs> Waiter, one more of the same. Dry. Are you sure you won't join me, Mr. Chevney? Look, look, this picture you gave me, is it the only one you have? The most recent, yes. It was taken a few weeks before Marianne ran away from home seven years ago. Oh. She never got along with her father. What about this Friday business? Why Friday after seven years? Simply because Friday at midnight, Marianne will be 25. Uh-huh. So she's got to return home by then or she doesn't get her money? Mm, brilliant. Wait, another order of shrimp, please. You're sure giving me a lot of time. This is Thursday. I've got one whole day. Uh, 
Marianne's father was your partner, half-owner of Shevney Franklin Importers, huh? That's right. Shevney yeah. died over three weeks ago. Why the sudden concern now? Oh, I haven't been idle. I've been running ads for the girl in the papers. Yeah, you've been a busy little bee, you have. Mr. Shane. All right. What happens to the eight million if Marion Shevney doesn't get home in time? It goes into the business. But you're the business now. That's right. Don't look so perplexed. It's quite simple, really. Yeah, something simple. You're hiring me to find her so that you can lose eight million dollars. Precisely, Mr. Shane. Waiter, another dry Manhattan. We'll return in a moment to the new adventures of Michael Shane and the case of the model murder. From the minute I walked into the seafood bar at the Carlton Manor Hotel and sat down opposite Franklin of Chevney Franklin Importers, I knew I was walking into something with more angles and a course in advanced geometry. My first impulse after hearing his story was to tell Mr. Franklin to go peddle his shrimp. Only I suddenly remembered that the only jingle I could raise in my pockets was the sound of my car keys rattling around. It seems his partner, Chevney, had died some three weeks before and Eight million bucks he couldn't take with him was waiting for his errant daughter, Marianne, who'd run away from home seven years ago when she was 18. I was supposed to find the girl and bring her to her late father's house before Friday midnight, tomorrow night. Well, I took another look at the photo of the girl. The words Harrison Halstead Model Agency were stamped on the back. At least she'd worked there seven years ago. I decided to give it a whirl. The receptionist was a sugar blonde with a cooperative look in her eyes. Well, I sure would like to help you, Mr. Shane, but I really don't know any Miss Chevney. And you handle a lot of models here. Oh, that's right. This photograph help you any? Uh-huh. Pretty. No, I'm afraid not. Taken seven years ago. I'd just bet you'd go for something a little older. And you'd have a good breath. The boss around? Well, yes, Mr. Shane, but I don't know... Miss Winters, I want you... Oh, yes, sir? Mr. Shane's looking for a girl by the name of Chevney, Mr. Halston. Sorry, I can't help you. Now, this photograph. Hmm? No. What do you want with her? Well, she's got $8 million coming to her. Sorry, Mr. Shane. Well, that's okay. Miss Winters, get Miller on the phone, will you? Set will be ready at 2 this afternoon. Yes, sir. You recognize the photo. Did he, Mr. Shane? You're a real good kid. Company girl, loyal. <laughs> Thank you. Follow the rules. Uh huh. Look, I'm just trying to help a penniless girl get eight million bucks. Well, take one of our cards, Mr. Shane. You just might want to come back. Thanks. Uh, I don't have eight million, but... You don't need eight million. How much? Just enough for a rail steak and baked potato. That's a deal. Miss Winters struck me as a girl with the wrong name. Nothing chilly in her attitude. As for this Halstead character, he was one of those guys with a monogram complex. Everywhere you looked, you found H.H. staring you in the face. Harrison Halstead. On his tie, on the pocket of his shirt. Even the cigarette lighter on the reception desk had the same two H's sort of leaning against one another. And the agency card Miss Winters had given me, they were there too. As I waited for the elevator, I turned the card over. The handwriting was nice and firm. Matey 
Carter, 2614 Mount York Avenue, might be able to help you. I thought, Shane, how would you get along without that winning personality of yours? Matey Carter's place was a little bungalow in a court. There was a light on behind curtains. I rang the bell. Yes? Miss Carter? What do you want? I'd like to talk to you. What do you want? I'm looking for Marianne Chevney. I don't know anybody by that name. Miss Winters at the Halstead Agency told I can't, me... I can't. I don't know if she isn't here. Gee, you better lower the volume. What do the neighbors think? Come in. Thanks. Now, look, Miss Carter, I'm not trying to do anything but find Miss Chevney so I can give her $8 million. She doesn't want... Well, you see, it doesn't pay to keep secrets. Where is she? I don't know. Well, how do you know she doesn't want the money? She told me. Oh, you spoke to her? No, no. Why don't you leave me alone? I don't know anything. Look, all I want... Uh, never mind, Miss Carter. Maybe I got a bum steer. Sorry I bothered you. I suppose I could have broken her down if I'd kept at it. But I suddenly found what I came for. There was an envelope face down on the desk. From where I was standing, I was able to read the return address on the flap. Big as life it was. The initials M.C., apartment 5, and the address 318 East 54th Street, New York City. M.C., Marion Chevney. As I drove back to town, I began to get a familiar feeling. Maybe I don't have eyes behind my head, but I do have a little spot between my shoulder blades. It's got a special talent. If somebody's following me, it begins to itch. It had bothered me a little right after I left the Halstead Agency, but I didn't pay much attention to it. Right now, it was giving me the squirms in high gear, and I decided to do something about it. I pulled off the main road onto a side street, but quick. I parked, doused the lights, and waited. Cars kept going by, and I spotted a maroon job with one light dimmer than the other coming around the block for the second time. This time, it went about a hundred yards past me, and then it parked. I waited. Nobody got out of the car. The spot between my shoulders stopped itching. I knew I was on solid ground. I got out of the car and started up the street. I saw the guy behind the wheel of the maroon job looking straight ahead as if he had nothing better to do than just sit there. I pulled the door open and slid into the front seat. Huh? What's doing, Jim? Nice tail job. No? Bro job. Oh, not so bad yourself. Spotting it. New Orleans does that for me. There's a field of the city. He must be from out of town. Yeah. Working? Yeah. Jonathan Franklin? Never heard of him. Franklin and Chevney importers. Bananas, I think. I hate bananas. <sighs> Who is it? You're doing all the talking, champ. This is a tough town for strangers. Not so tough. You're not so tough either. All right, nice tie you got. Slips up nice and easy. You can't talk, champ, but you can sure listen. That's a very pretty color you're turning on. Let's see. Yeah, shoulder holster, 45 automatic. Okay, you're going to breathe now, but don't overdo it. And take a tip. I don't like being followed, and strangers in town ought to be courteous. You're a pretty tough boy, Shane. No, no, I'm the easygoingest guy in the world. I just don't like being tailed. Remember, mind your manners when you're in a strange city, champ.
Franklin was in the dining room of the hotel carving up some rare roast beef with Yorkshire pudding on the side. I dropped into a chair on the other side of his table and told him what I'd found out. As usual, he got real interested. New York, eh? Will you join me, Mr. Shane? You're real worried about getting Marianne Shevney back here before tomorrow night, aren't you? Oh, you can't rush things, my boy. Ah, this case smells clear across the river. Don't you trust me, Mr. Franklin? One moment, Mr. Shane. Wait up. Yes, sir. Bring me a phone, please. Uh, You were saying... I said somebody's been telling me. I'd like to know why. You're implying, Mr. Shane, that because I don't trust you, I've hired someone to watch you? In a nutshell. That is not true. But the fact that someone is following you is very disconcerting. Your telephone, Mr. Franklin. Yes. Oh, thank you, Wayne. <laughs> you pardon me, Mr. Shane. Uh, travel desk, please. Hello? This is Jonathan Franklin speaking. Will you arrange for a charter plane with the New Orleans Charter Service, please? In the name of Michael Shane. Yeah. In about uh, an hour. It's now 8.30. The plane is to go to New York and leave here at 9.30. Thank you. You're full of surprises, Mr. Franklin. I've got another one for you. Yeah? If you succeed in bringing Marianne back here before midnight tomorrow, there's a thousand dollar bonus for you. Sometimes, Mr. Franklin, your conversation is positively brilliant. A chartered plane to New York and a thousand dollar jackpot at the end of the rainbow. I felt like a captain of industry as the plane got the right away from the airport tower and circled in for a landing. New York, great little city. It was four o'clock in the morning when the taxi pulled up in front of 518 East 54th Street. I told the cabbie to wait. What's money to me? Took the stairs of the brownstone two at a time. Apartment five was at the end of the hall on the first floor. I knocked. Nothing happened. I knocked again. Nobody could sleep like that. Then I tried the door. Locked. Apparently, Marianne was a dirty stay out late. Across the hall, the door to apartment number four said manager. I walked over and started knocking again. Well, what is it? What is it? I'm sorry to get you out of bed all the time, but I'd like you to open the door to apartment five. Are you crazy waking a body at four in the morning? Look, I'm a private detective. I'm looking for the girl who has that apartment. I want to get in, so I'll be there when she gets home. Private detective? I'm sorry. If you were a police, it'd be... Does this give me the necessary rank? Five dollars. All right, make it ten. Well, <laughs> why don't you tell me he was a private detective in the first place? Come on. Hey, light switch in there. there. Yeah. Make yourself comfortable. Thanks. Here's your pound of flesh. Now, you won't tell her that I let you... What's the matter with you? Hey. Over there, on the floor in the hall. First, I saw a lot of blonde hair. And then I saw there was a girl attached to it. She probably would have been real pretty without that bullet hole in her forehead. We'll return in a moment to the new adventures of Michael Shane and the case of the model murder. A glutton by the name of Jonathan Franklin had waved an ice-cold scent in front of my nose, but strangely enough, it still had a strong odor. My assignment was to find Marianne Shevney and get her back to her late dad's home so she could collect eight million bucks, according to the terms of her inheritance. 
Well, I picked up the trail at the Harrison Halstead Model Agency, where Miss Chevney had once worked. Mr. H.H. and his secretary, Miss Winters, acted like I was after atomic secrets. As I left, Miss Winters shoved a card in my hand with the name and address of Mady Carter. Miss Carter had the willies bad, but I picked up the information that the girl I was looking for was in New York. Franklin stopped eating roast beef long enough to charter a plane for me. And I arrived at the end of the trail just in time to find my quarry still warm, but with a bullet in her head. My police, we'll have to call the police. Yeah, but not before I make a phone call long distance. It won't be long now, will you? Uh, Sorry, because they they get real mad. Long distance, uh, I want you to get me Mr. Jonathan Franklin at the Carlton Manor in New Orleans. Collect, Michael Shane at this end. That's right. Uh, This is uh, Circle 65970. Yeah, my reputation... You know this will be in the papers, don't you? The police all over the place and reporters. Yeah, yeah, and her blood stains a nice carpet, yeah, too. I feel real for sorry for you. Hello? Well, Hello, Mr. Franklin. Yes, yes, what is it? Well, take your earmuffs off. You might like to hear this. What is it, Shane? Just a second, Mr. Franklin. Look, look, old timer. Don't you have a telephone in your own apartment? Yes, but I never thought of that. Well, think of it. Well, Shane? The gal is dead. Now, what do you want me to do? Come on home. You've done a good job. You're not sorry? No. Should I be? Well, what about the one grand bonus? I guess that's cold turkey, huh? We'll talk about it when you get back. Yeah, yeah. Cold turkey, did you say? Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned it. It's an excellent thought. With a glass of cold milk, of course. Goodbye, Mr. Shane. I had a little time before the cops had come, so I started moseying around the apartment. First thing that caught my eye was a cigarette lighter on an end table. It looked familiar, very familiar. All of a sudden, I knew why. There was a monogram on it. Yeah, two H's sort of leaning against each other. I got the long-distance operator again and put in a call to Mr. Halstead, also collect. There is no answer. Are you sure you got the right guy? Harrison Halstead's residence in New Orleans, Orange, 24. Thanks, operator. Shall I try later? I didn't know how, but it was pretty obvious that Halstead was in this thing up to his ears. I kept on wandering around the living room, and then I found it. There was a letter on the table in a girl's handwriting. The date was just two days ago, and the letter started with the words, Dear Matey. I didn't have to read the signature to know it was Mary Ann. I took a good look at the girl on the floor. Her hair was blonde, only there was about a sixteenth of an inch of dark brunette showing at the hairline. I got real smart then. I finally figured it out. This girl was Mady Carter, and the frightened girl back in New Orleans was really Mary Ann Chevney. Only somebody else had apparently made the same mistake, and it was my guess he was hightailing it back to New Orleans to correct his error. I made a quick call to Homicide to pay my respects and then headed for the airport. Luckily, the plane was ready to go when I got there. Oh, Shane, you had the girl in your hands and then you waltzed off with a dream. One thing was clear. Mary Ann Chevney had plenty to worry about. It took me just ten minutes from the time I landed back in New Orleans to get to her place. The door to Mary Ann's bungalow was locked and there was no answer to my banging. I started around the house trying to get a look-see inside. Nothing. Nobody home. When I got around to the rear and peeked in the bedroom, I saw why. The place was empty. Either she decided to run or else she'd been taken on a trip without a return ticket. I scrambled over to Carlton Manor and guess what? Yeah, Jonathan Franklin was eating. It seems you made a mistake, Mr. Shane. How do you know? The paper. Wasn't Mary Ann who was killed in New York. It was a girl by the name of Carter, Madeline Carter. You still want me to find Mary Ann? Oh, of course. 
Let's see. Three now. You only have nine hours left. Ooh, uh, will you have some lunch? Bouillabaisse. No, thanks. Don't you ever find time to eat? Yeah. Yeah, but I'm peculiar. I only eat three meals a day. Marianne Shepney's life was in danger, and I wanted to get to her while she was still hale and hearty. I drove over to Halstead's agency. Miss Winters still had that cooperative look. Well, hi there. Hi, where's your boss? Out. Been in today? Well, I know. As a matter of fact, he hadn't. Did you try to reach him at home? Yes, I did. He wasn't there. Oh, is something wrong? Something's very wrong, sweetheart. Look, that note you slipped me last night. Not the kind I usually write. Matey Carter. You knew I was looking for Marianne Shevney. Well, I said Matey Carter might be a help. She's a friend of Miss Shevney's. You didn't know there was a switch? Switch? Matey Carter was in New York. She was killed last night. Yeah. Halstead could have taken a plane up there last night, couldn't he? Well, I, I don't know. As far as you know, he could have, couldn't he? Well, yes. I haven't spoken to him since last night. Tell me, is he a bachelor? Yeah. Lives alone? Uh-huh. In town or in the country? Both. Oh, he has a country place. Where? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. You want me to look it up? You bet I do, sweetheart. If I'm not too late, it might make the difference between a long and wealthy life or a 45 slug to Marianne Shevney. It took me almost an hour to drive out to where Halstead had his beach home. The place had a real subtropical flavor, bordering on the gulf and surrounded by a mass of lush undergrowth and stubby cypress trees. I didn't bother to announce myself. I just barged in. She'd been here all right. There was a woman's jacket over a chair in the big paneled living room and her purse half open on the floor. I went to the back door and opened it and looked out. Bounced off a stone and I caught a glint of the bullet as it wind off on its ricochet. It had come from the left. I ducked back into the house. He had shells to burn, whoever he was. It was no sense my perching like a sitting duck, so I started toward the front. The living room had been empty a moment before, but now there was a man in it, a man with a gun. Halstead. Stop where you are, Mr. Shane, and raise your hand. Where's Marianne? It's none of your business. I said raise your hand. Now look, Halstead, don't be coy about this thing. There's a guy out there with a gun, a big gun, and he's got big ideas. So have I. Move back against the wall. Look, who's working for who around here? You're sticking your nose in where it doesn't belong, Shane. Told you yesterday, if there was anything about Marianne Chevney, you ought to concern yourself with. What did you do with her? Let's just say she's in protective custody. Yours? As I said, that's none of your business. Hello, champ. What's Uh, doing? Still telling me, huh? Yeah. And this time, no necktie. Very bad taste. Huh? Drop that rifle. I don't think so. Practice more, you mess. Oh, this is real cute. Champ is in the kitchen with a rifle, and you're in here with a pistol, Halstead. You both have a grudge against me, only you can't stop worrying about each other. Shane, who is that man in the kitchen? I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet, but I think he's after Marianne, too. Aren't you, Champ? Could be, but right now I get more questions. <laughs> Missed again. Just stick your head in that doorway once more. Now, Mr. Shane, I'll give you just three seconds to tell me what you want. I told you. I want the truth, now. What difference does it make what I want with the girl if you're already... All right, Shane, I want you. We'll be back in just a moment with Mike Shane and the thrilling climax to our story. It was a second or two before I realized Halstead had fired at the laddie with the rifle, not me. But I wasn't inclined to administer first aid to Champ lying in the kitchen doorway because from the look on Halstead's face, he was getting ready for a repeat performance. And then I got a shock. 
Like when the shower suddenly turns from hot to cold. Marianne, the real Marianne, stepped into the room and went over to Halstead. I figured it was time to call a halt and settle who was who. Hello, Marianne. You... you killed me, dear. No, the champ in the kitchen, it was his work. Why don't you leave me alone, all of you? All I've been trying to do is bring you back to your father's home by midnight tonight so you can inherit the eight million he left you. Marianne and I were married last night, Shane. What? So now the matter of her inheritance is my business. Now, why don't you leave us alone? I will if Marianne or Mrs. Halstead will go back to her father's house. But why, Mr. Shane? Why should I go back there? Well, if the eight million doesn't mean anything to you, the thousand I stand to collect means plenty to me. I knew it was the right time. Six o'clock when I walked into the dining room of the Carlton Manor. Jonathan Franklin was having breast of guinea hen under glass and a white wine. Well, won't you sit down? I'll have the way to get you. No, no, thanks. Yeah. You look calm and relaxed, Mr. Shane. Success? Yes. Splendid. And Mary Ann? I found her. And her husband. Her husband? That's right. Oh, your boy is down at headquarters, Mr. Franklin. Headquarters? My boy? Yes, the champ. He talked when he came to. He got a little overeager after he trailed me to Halstead's beach house, and Halstead winged him. Oh. The way I figured, it wasn't a question of Marianne getting back to her father's home before her 25th birthday. No? This wine is delicious. 1929 so turned. No, it was a question of whether or not she'd reach her 25th birthday. And that's why you had me searching for her, to find her so you could have her killed before she did. Now, you're not going to spoil my dinner. You know, there's an old saying, Mr. Franklin, the foolish person eats himself into the grave. You, you say he talked? Yes. He told us why he'd been following me. So that if I found Marianne, he could kill her. He told us how he was sent to New York before I left. Oh, I should have guessed that, Mr. Franklin. It only takes ten minutes to get to the airport from here. Why make the charter for an hour later? You have a point, and there was only one person besides myself and Marianne who knew the address of Mady Carter in New York. Yeah. I should have thought of that, I suppose. You uh, finished with your dinner, Mr. Franklin? Yeah. Because if you are, there are some men waiting for you in the lobby. Homicide detail. You're spoiling my digestion, Mr. Shane. Doesn't matter, Mr. Franklin. From now on, you'll be eating crow. Hearty appetite. Mike, what I can't understand is why Mr. Franklin was so eager to get his partner's money. He must have made the same amount himself. After all, eight million dollars. That's enough bait for anybody, sweetheart. With his appetite, maybe he needs 16 million to keep in groceries. Especially with prices the way they are today. <laughs> oh, Mike. Sugar, you're cute. Now, on each your steak. And will you have a red wine served with it? Waiter, a sparkling burgundy. Domestic. Year of 1948. This is your director, Bill Russo, again. Our story is based on characters created by Brett Halliday. The music is composed and conducted by John Duffy, and Michael Shane is portrayed by Jeff Chandler. The New Adventures of Michael Shane is a Don W. Sharp production, transcribed in Hollywood and distributed exclusively by the Broadcasters Guild. Next week, you'll hear Michael Shane in another thrilling adventure from mysterious and colorful New Orleans. (laughs) ¶¶ 